<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with nonviolent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. Who we got a good one for you today. Of course, I'm Dave Smith. He is Robbie the Fire Bernstein. We are getting ready to head out to old Tampa, Florida this weekend. Side splitters going to be doing a bunch of shows. I think we've got four stand-up shows and a live Part of the Problem podcast out there. And uh, yeah, then a bunch more stuff. We got Syracuse Funny Bone coming up. I'll be out at uh, the Comedy Mothership June 9th through 11th. Come grab tickets for that because all these shows at this club sell out. But I want uh, I want our people to be there in full force. You know what I mean? I don't want it to just. I want I want my people out there. And we got a lot of people out in Austin. So make sure you come on out to uh, to one of those shows. And of course, Rob, you got your weekly show going on here in New York City. You got the Summer Porch Tour coming up. Uh, RobbieTheFire.com. RobbieTheFire.com. Cafe Bohemia on Wednesday. Summer Porch Tour at Childerberg. We're going to get rid of uh, Kyle Schlob, but like in a, in a good way. We're going to do a ceremony so that he just realizes he's been wrong, and then he apologizes for stuff. Uh, you know, nothing nothing illegal or anything. I don't know why you would have thought that's yeah. what I meant when I said getting Seems rid like of Seems like an stuff. airtight plan to me. Yeah, and now my plugs are over because I made it weird. So back to you, Dave. <laughs> ComicDaveSmith.com. Go there for all this <laughs> stuff. All right, let's, let's jump right into it, man, because there's a real... Uh, an interesting development uh, in that, of course, I'm talking about the Durham report, which was just released. Um, a lot to get into uh, about this. It's um, it's an interesting thing. You know, I've talked uh, about this before, how it's w- when you start to, to build a platform um, at talking about, you know, in this space where we are, like talking about politics and, and things like that you start kind of uh, there's these issues that you end up getting married to. Um, and, you know, of course for us, it's uh, it's was, it's been several different things. Um, there's a, uh, you know, personally the, the Ukraine war is something that I've really been now associated with being like one of the, the kind of leading uh, voices opposing uh, the American support for the proxy war in, in Ukraine um, for the previous three years, 
for me and you, it was really the rise of the COVID regime and the vaccine mandates and all that stuff. Um, and there's just these issues. It's kind of like what, what we try to do, I think, is decide what's the most important issue, you know, and when it's the most important issue, you really dive into it. You learn as much about, uh, about it as you can and you try to, you know, uh, articulate what your position is on it. But if people can remember a before time, before all the latest round of insanity, I think for a while there, the issue that probably defined this show the most was the, the Russian uh, conspiracy hoax. And this was me and you, you know, back in the New York studio days before COVID lockdowns. This was what me and you were like all in on and really, I think, um, really dissected for many, many, many episodes. And it's interesting to now get this information, of course. uh, um, I mean, not that we got new information. As far as I'm concerned, the case had already been a slam dunk, you know, like, like proof that we had of what actually happened here. And I'm, I'm very proud of the job that me and you did. I stand by our track record. I think it was much, much better than just about anything you would have gotten. Um, just about anywhere, certainly better than anything you would have gotten in the legacy media in the corporate press. Um, but it's just more now, just more information, which is, uh, I, I will preface by saying most of the new stuff that we learned here. Um, I think if you follow the case that we had been making uh, about this stuff for years, uh, like I would have bet all the money I have in the world that this was the case. But now it's just been confirmed. Uh, So we can go through some of these things. And then, of course, um, this also, let's just say the puzzles fit pretty neatly together for the uh, another angle that we've had on top of all of this. So basically what we uh, have been saying from the very beginning of this Trump-Russia collusion insanity, which if you can remember, I know uh, it feels like a few years ago was a few centuries ago these days because so much crazy shit's happened in the last few years. But if you, if you can remember um, back to this time, uh, basically our central uh, belief on the whole thing was that this the entire narrative that Russia uh, overthrew our elections, that Trump was compromised by the Russians, that the Russians had installed him and that there was some type of conspiracy going on here, that the entire thing was not only untrue, but that it was an intentional, like uh, deep state ploy uh, to frame the sitting president at the time uh, for treason in an attempted coup to essentially try to overthrow the democratically elected leader um, by framing him for treason. But on top of that, we we also, I think, made a pretty devastating case that um, contrary to the popular narrative on MSNBC, Bob Barr was not some Trump puppet. In fact, he was a career-long deep stater who was much more of a Bushite than a Trumpite. And in fact, he was kind of there to play the role of controlled opposition to say so they could come away and say, even Donald Trump's puppet admits that no charges can be brought against anyone. Um, And so this Durham report, in my view, fits very nicely with that. It's years later, 
after all when all interest has kind of been lost in the subject, at least by the masses. I'm going to come out and let you know, yes, I can confirm that the government did the most horrific, shady things possible. Clearly, the only like summary you could take from this is that there was a coordinated effort to try to frame the president of the United States for treason. And my conclusion is that no charges will be brought like more or less that to me is the, is the, if if I could sum up in like a sentence or two, the Durham report, it's that here is undeniable proof that all of these people conspired to frame the president of the United States. And my recommendation is we shouldn't do that again. <laughs> that's more or less this report. It seems to me like, I, I don't know, that's a fair sum up. So I, I don't know where you want to start with this, Rob, but any thoughts you have on the uh, the Durham report? Uh, yeah, at a minimum, where's my CNN apology? I think people, you know, we all just move on and we forget, but it was a massive change in uh, media and media coverage because newspapers, they got to fill they got to fill a Wall Street Journal prints in the morning, and it's got to publish something. And when two full years was dedicated to, hey, the president is a Russian asset, that meant we also wasted two years of our lives going, no, this is nonsense, and this yeah. isn't what we should be talking about. But guess what? We all were existing in the landscape of bullshit. Them putting out the bullshit, us debunking the bullshit. Did we get our two years of life back? We could have used our intellect for other activities. Yeah, but instead... They introduced bullshit. We yelled about bullshit. And then six years later, you find out, oh, yeah, that was bullshit. Well, there's it, you know, it's been funny. I've been checking in on a little bit of the corporate media's uh, reaction to the report. And it's it's mostly what you would think. You know, Fox News is talking about what a bombshell this is. CNN's talking about what a nothing burger it is. Um, the, I, I did see um, Anderson Cooper was, uh, I guess you could give him a little bit of credit for this, but he did say uh, something along the lines of like, this is really a devastating, you know, rebuke of the FBI. I'm like, yeah, and CNN, <laughs> dude. Like, how about that? How about you? It's also like, this is devastating to you because your role is at least what you pretend your role is, is not to just regurgitate what the authorities tell you, right? So if they were all wrong about this, well, then you were also wrong for just nonstop uh, pushing this. I, I also do think that as much as there's lots of other um, examples of this, this is far from the the only thing. Um, I would certainly say I think the war in, in Iraq like really damaged media credibility in the country. But I do think that, you know, when you talk about how this really changed the way that politics is covered, I think um, this this really, really played a major role um, with forever losing credibility with about a half of the country for the corporate press. Um, that again, I'm not saying this was like the first thing, obviously D Trump supporters were very furious with the, you know, the mainstream media or whatever they would call it, um, before any of this started, but there was something, there was something that seemed kind of, uh, unique in scale about this one. And, and that's not to say like, obviously we are talking about lies where wars are started, that's that's a pretty huge scale. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. There is just something about making the claim 
every single day that the sitting president of the United States is a puppet of the Kremlin is such an incredible claim. You know, like it's like if if that's true, it's the biggest story in the history and- of the country by far. You know, like, and, and then for that to be proven to be complete bullshit, how do you come back from that? And there was an irony the whole time where they said uh, that we can't allow people to lose faith in democracy. Well, what is you saying a claim that the president is actually representing Russia due to our democracy? Right. It's a little bit in like the way that the uh, last election, let's just say may or may not was stolen. It doesn't really matter. But everyone realized, hey, we got to go with the winner. The, because otherwise people are going to lose faith in the democracy. So it doesn't, it was almost like it doesn't matter if it was stolen or not. We need people to trust this system. This guy won. We're moving forward with that. So what happens to two years of, hey, the guy who's in charge is actually uh, a representative of Russia. And then when you find out six years later, oh, yeah, that whole thing was made up. You understand? Yeah. So they did the biggest, like, they could not have done more for, uh, not that I care about our democracy, but I'm just saying all that yelling about, you can't trust our democracy. Well, you got people to not trust the guy. And then we found out that the entire uh, infrastructure of our media and, you know, basically the deep state or intelligence agencies will work against a sitting president that's an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. There's, right. Right. I think that's essentially the uh, the 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 major takeaway. Um, but yeah, it's just and on top of that, on top of all of that stuff, I also think, uh, as you kind of uh, alluded to uh, just a few minutes ago, the inability of the the corporate press to be able to um, to grapple with their failure. You know, like when you said, where's the apology? It's like the idea that they thought they thought they could just say this for so long and then just drop it and move on. Like well, as if that's... that wasn't, you know what I mean, said now, a lot of stuff like this also happened through the covid times, which was, you know, pretty crazy. I mean, you know, you think about things like like the example that we uh, we jumped on on this show was with Fauci claiming that he was never for lockdowns, which is like uh, it, uh, that to me was like. Like even for me, who lives in this world of let me tell you what, you know, corrupt like uh, liars, all these people are even to me, I was like the gall of that. I, it's it's like it would be like on the level of like George W. Bush saying, I never said I wanted to fight a war in Iraq. That never happened. You know, or Obama being like, I never said anything about hope and change. I'm not the hope change guy. I don't know. who. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so like, but you think we don't remember like there's there's just endless hours of videotape of you you were doing daily press conferences like what are you talking about but so anyway but um but for them to just kind of pivot from from donald trump is a russian asset to let's focus on why he's a bad guy in some other way and never kind of like grapple with that it's it's kind of you know if you think about it like in in terms of a personal relationship if you had like a very close friend or uh, maybe maybe someone you're dating or something like that, and you just found out that they lied to you, like very blatantly lied to you about something, that's going to change the way you feel about that person. And I think that in some ways represents the relationship between the average American and the media, that they've just, it's kind of like, oh, I see that you've lied to me. And you're, it's not like you lied to me, 
and you apologized about it and you you know you promised to never do it again or something like that it's like oh you just okay i can't trust anything you say um so that's kind of where we're at and this story has a lot to do with that a lot the trump russia collusion was like they went all in on this story and came away with nothing you know and like you you just think like to make an accusation like that it it would be kind of like th- I mean, not the equivalent exactly, but it would be kind of like if instead of just like a few kooks and like maybe and Donald Trump was one of these kooks at the time. But if if instead of just a few kooks saying Obama is actually a Kenyan Muslim who, you know, wasn't born in in America uh, and therefore doesn't have a, a right to be the president, if like the entire media went all in on that. We're like, whoa, this is the good. They're, they're claiming this is real. This is the same. And then it just came out. Oh, yeah, there's no truth to that. Zero. Then you just found his records. Now he was born in Hawaii and lived in Kansas. None of that's true. You're like, oh, my God. You went all like in order to make these claims, you must have had something. And no, they really had nothing. Um, all right. So let's get into some of the takeaways of the, uh, the, the Durham report which um, were some things, uh, I guess the key things that we didn't know, um, or again, just to be clear, things that given what we did know, I would have bet my life savings on, but we didn't actually have proof of this. Um, one of the, the major details was that this started, this, this, um, this plot to paint Donald Trump as um, being involved in a conspiracy with Russia started in the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, This we knew. This we knew um, beforehand. However, what we did not know is who knew that, right? Like we knew that this started at the Hillary Clinton campaign and then went to the intelligence agencies. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsors for today's show, which is Yo Delta. Hey, responsible adults out there over the age of 21 living in states where Delta 8 is legal. If you want to get high, go stock up on Delta 8 gummies and vapes from YoDelta.com. I can tell you I'm surrounded at the Gas Digital Network by a whole lot of people who love the THC and they swear by this stuff. So Gummies, vapes, all your getting stoned needs. Go to YoDelta.com, the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. Use the promo code GAS. That will get you 25% off your entire order. One more time, YoDelta.com, promo code GAS for 25% off your entire order. All right, let's get back into the show. Not only did the FBI and the Department of Justice know about this, but in fact, uh, the head of the CIA, Brennan, briefed Obama about this. So this really does, although of course we always would have guessed Barack Obama was aware of this. We've talked about this before on the show, but it was, it used to just be speculation. It is no longer speculation. Um, we all thought, well, look, if like the app, we knew it was like went up to the absolute highest levels. We knew it went up to at least the head of the FBI and the attorney general and the CIA director have, you know, is it really likely that all of them are involved in this operation against a presidential campaign and they didn't, Obama was unaware of it? I suppose it was possible, but I would have bet every dollar I had that it wasn't. But we now know that Obama was briefed on this. And so just to keep this in mind, 
that Obama, through all the time when he was pushing the theories as well, he was well aware that this had started in Hillary Clinton's campaign as a specific tactic to to uh, um, as it says in the report to distract away from her email scandal to say, oh, yeah, well, he's in bed with Vladimir Putin. And this way they could uh, also lump Julian Assange in with the Russians. And then anytime they wanted to talk about Hillary Clinton's emails, this could be her out. Well, you know, th this is just because my opponent's a Russian puppet, as she called him at one of the debates. Um, if, you, if you remember, there was an interesting moment in the 2016 debates when uh, Hillary Clinton called Donald Trump a Russian puppet. Uh, this is, again, Rob, if you're talking about changes in the way media covers the debates, changes in politics, that is, uh, look, for someone who's, who's 40, who kind of remembers the time before this latest batch of insanity, as crazy as politics is, and it's always, you know, it's always corruption, but like that was something you just wouldn't hear between the Republican and Democratic nominee on the presidential debate stage to look over to the other person and say, you're a Russian puppet. That's like kind of a new line. And Donald Trump's response, interestingly enough, at the time was he goes, I'm no puppet. You're the puppet. Which just seems kind of like a Donald Trump third grade response, although now it, you know, it seems like there might have been a little bit more to it. So, any any thoughts on any of that stuff, Rob? Uh, I do think that that's probably the most. Uh, we were talking about the Brennan CIA meeting, mm -hmm. uh, but I guess that was more speculative. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does appear that all the puzzle pieces have been laid out to just go. Hillary Clinton sat down, she thought this one up, and they just ran with it for four years. And undermined him. I mean, half of his presidency was uh, revolved around just trying to defeat these claims in the media. Like, he might have been able to get that wall built. He might have been able to put forward other initiatives. But he was democratically elected. And, you know, the people that wanted him in there were definitely deprived of him having, like, a valid presidency. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, it's worth um, uh, uh, mentioning also um, that uh, Durham... Uh, was turned down for interviews with several key players here, which is crazy that they're even allowed to do this. Like they just wouldn't cooperate with him. Um, James Comey, uh, Andrew McCabe, um, William uh, Prystep, uh, Glenn Simpson, there are a whole bunch of them. And Peter Strzok agreed to talk, but only about like one specific aspect and wouldn't answer questions about anything else. There were a whole lot of people who just straight up would not cooperate with this investigation. Um, and he still came away with what he did. Um, there was another really uh, interesting uh, little little uh, part of this report where it described, uh, reading from Politico here, the report describes a dramatic moment in one of the Durham interviews. During the 2016 campaign, the U.S. intelligence community learned of Russian, intelli uh, of Russian intelligence intelligence and analysis alleging that Clinton's team planned to stir up a scandal about Trump's Russia's ties to distract the public from her email server problem. The unverified Russian claim has been previously disclosed and Democrats have derided it as incendiary disinformation from a foreign adversary that was seeking to meddle in the election. In 2016, then-CIA Director John Brennan briefed 
uh, briefed then-President Barack Obama on it. However, according to Durham, most of the Crossfire Hurricane personnel he discussed it with hadn't seen it, including the probe's original supervisory special agent. After reviewing the Russian intelligence with Durham's team, the agent became visibly upset and emotional, left the interview room with his counsel, and subsequently returned to state emphatically that he had never been appraised of it, according to the report. The agent, quote, expressed a sense of betrayal that no one had informed him of the intelligence. He added that regardless of its veracity, someone should have told him about it. James Baker, the FBI's former general counsel, also said he'd first learned of the intelligence from Durham's team. He said that if he had known about it during the probe, he would have been much more skeptical, much more skeptical about Christopher Steele's reports about allegations of a secret channel between the Trump organization and a Russian bank. Durham said the other FBI agents would also have been more skeptical about Trump Russian allegations had they seen the intelligence, which would have reduced the risk of reputational damage both to the targets of the investigation as well as ultimately to the FBI. So this was a real interesting piece here yeah. where you're finding out that people even at the FBI at pretty high levels were kept in the dark about the fact that they knew that this was a Hillary Clinton campaign plot and that Obama knew about this and Brennan knew about this. Brennan's here briefing Obama about this. So they're sitting here and then they're letting these guys go off and believe that they're actually cracking down on some type of conspiracy here. Whereas if they had known this information, they would have been like, oh, but Christopher Steele was hired by the Clintons. That, this is the, the campaign effort. I kind of call bullshit on that, too. And here's why. You ever uh, ever watch like uh, Andy Kaufman when he was feuding with like that wrestler guy and the mm -hmm. guy like uh, uh, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler. So from what I understand of that little incident, they never talked about it, but they both understood that they were playing a game. Kind of if you ever take a really gay improv class, you learn about the game of the scene. You don't actually have a conversation about the game that you're playing, but you get it. When Hillary Clinton shows up and goes, hey, I think uh, Donald Trump's a Russian. I don't think she necessarily even needs to speak out. The entire thing and Obama goes, can we you think we can look into that? And Brennan goes, oh, we can certainly look into that. In fact, I actually I have this intelligence report. No one's asking. No one cares. They all get what they're doing. Oh, that might be sticky enough. And then they give their marching orders over to the people at the FBI or the FBI running back up to the CIA. No, they just got their marching orders. Hey, we're doing an investigation to see whether or not Trump's a Russian asset. They get what they're doing. They're not asking the questions, oh, you know what I mean? They're getting their marching orders. They get what's going on. Yes, well, I agree with that um, on the on that level of guys. I think Brennan, I think Comey, Obama, Hillary Clinton, all of those guys. I do, by the way, I'll grant, it's possible also when they're just talking to these FBI agents who are like furious that they were kept out of the dark. It's also possible that just out, as this is coming out, they realize how illegal the shit they did was. Right. And this is the guy who's going to be recommending charges or not. And they're like, oh, well, no one ever told me that. And if I had been told, I would have acted completely differently. It's also possible that there are a lot of people within these institutions who are actually brainwashed into believing in the institutions. You know what right. I mean? And they're actually like, well, no, we wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't be getting these orders unless there was really a credible source that Donald Trump is working in bed with the Russians and we're saving democracy. Like it is it is possible to me either way on that front. I, I is, don't know. I wouldn't be Comey, surprised either way. Is Comey still uh, posting sad in Instagram <laughs> images? 
didn't he write a book like my struggle or whatever yes like a yes. mind comp book but yeah about trump instead of the jews you think <laughs> uh uh, you know what would be an interesting starting point in terms of unraveling this is uh, Mueller. What was he doing for two years? I mean, you and I thought that Donald Trump was going to go down because they were going to concoct this crazy, nonsensical thing and they'd you know, be able to Find open something. up enough doors that they would get him for something else. And he managed to somehow survive that. I mean, talk about, there's some truth to the fact, greatest witch hunt ever, Donald Trump is still standing. He must be the cleanest individual well, that's it ever is... graced politics in America. It's one of the only aspects of this whole saga that we really got wrong. Oh, that we thought the whole, that they would get him. That for we something. thought they'd find something. Right. We were like, "There's no way they're gonna," because that's the whole plan here: is they'll make this shit up, they'll sick the special prosecutor on him, and they'll find some crime he's committed over the years unrelated to Russia, and then just say, "Look, in the course of this investigation, we found this." And they but found now nothing. that we know that the basis of the investigation was false. And maybe, Brian, you can look up how much money was spent on that, but I believe it went on for at least two years, and Mueller kept up the racket like they were on to something the entire time. But now with the retrospective of that, we know that this was the Clintons came up with a uh, campaign to try and pretend like he was a Russian asset. They got the deep state on it. What was he actually doing for two years? He had this incredibly well-paid prosecuting team. What were they looking into for two full years? What were they doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, and as, look, we've made the point before, but it's it's worth restating here, that Mueller could have come out at any time and put an end to this, like, insane media blitz. Well, he was a part of it. He's one of the well, higher clearly, ups. Yeah. Clearly. And he was, and, and right, because it seems like in many ways that was kind of one of the, one of the points of the whole thing, right? Was to be like, well, look, even if we can't remove him, then we'll be able at least to make this the story of his entire presidency and box him into a corner where he can't work with Russia, you know, which is, by the way, again, if you if you remember back then, you know, this was Donald Trump was running on shouldn't we have detente with Russia and get along with Russia and work with them to end all of the wars in the Middle East. They're in Syria at the time killing ISIS. Great. We'll let them kill ISIS. We'll pull our troops out. We'll get out of the business of trying to overthrow these regimes in the Middle East and we'll make friends with Russia. We'll have a good relationship with them. And then this was to box him into a corner where he couldn't follow through on that, because when you're getting called a Russian spy every day on TV, it's pretty hard to then come out and say, I'm cutting a deal with Russia, because that would have just been, look, proof that he is, in fact, a Russian spy. And so he didn't. And in fact, he started trying to prove what a Russian spy he wasn't by being more uh, adversarial toward Russia. And didn't that work out wonderfully? Where we are now. What a great, what a great uh, um, strategy that was for the safety of the world, Uh, not to mention the people of Ukraine who have suffered the brunt of it. And think about how much better off we would have been if this information came out sooner. Because there could have been so many people that just knew that they shouldn't have opinions. And then they would have been spared getting the vaccines. Imagine <laughs> if people could have found out two years ago, oh, I got, I was lied into thinking that my president is actually a Russian asset. I remember being at dinner parties and people being just convinced of it. Fucking mm-hmm. liberal snobbery, just giving you hell, saying Donald Trump, he clearly is a, uh, you know, a traitor and he works for the Russians. People believe this shit. People still believe it. And if it There's people out there who still say it. But if, it, if the truth came out years ago, people yeah. would realized, oh, I'm really dumb and I shouldn't be listening to the television and I shouldn't be having opinions. And then they wouldn't be walking around with mRNAs in them right now. Yeah, quite possibly.
Maybe, or maybe not, or maybe they still would have found a way, but it's an interesting <laughs> thought experiment. But no question that Mueller could have come out and, and done and said this. And, and it, look, at the beginning, uh, the very beginning of it, he could have just been like, look, like um, just an update on the investigation. There has been no evidence thus far that Donald Trump is involved with any type of Russian conspiracy. And again, as we mentioned before, it, there, there was something very revealing about that BuzzFeed article, if you remember, that came out uh, shortly before the investigation wrapped up, where they claimed that they had seen proof that Donald Trump had instructed Michael Cohen to lie on, uh, to Congress. Therefore, he was going he was clearly guilty of a serious crime. He was going down. Mueller was going to hand out indictments. And Mueller came out and said, these reports are not true. Like he didn't come out, but one of his top guys came out. He Mueller sent him out to go say, no, 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 this isn't true. And it just kind of proves you're like, oh, so you're, you can do that. If there's a report in the media uh, saying that you have some type of evidence that you don't actually have, you could come out and say, no, 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 no that's, this report is incorrect. We don't have that evidence. And yet there were reports in the media every day for two years that, that Donald Trump was involved in a conspiracy with the Russians and not just people in the media saying it, but like Hillary Clinton saying it and Adam Schiff saying it and Nancy Pelosi saying it and all these people claiming they had the same thing BuzzFeed did, claiming they had seen the evidence and that Robert Mueller has this evidence and he never bothered to come out and do that. And so that right there is, I mean, you know, if that doesn't expose the whole goddamn thing, I don't know what would. Um, and what makes it even more confusing is Mueller's conclusion was that... Uh, <laughs> that he wasn't off the hook. I forgot the exact uh, terminology that he said, but that it was not, it wasn't clearing him. There just wasn't enough uh, information to move forward with the prosecution. Uh, with that being said, though, it is odd that the Durham report uh, lost both of its court cases and will not move forward with anything. The best we might see is a congressional well, won, hearing they, pulling they won in these one, characters. They won one court case. There were three. And one of them, they won. They got the uh, the FBI guy who forged or uh, manipulated the FISA warrant for Carter Page. But of course, he got no jail time. He did get convicted, but got no jail time. Or he pled guilty, uh, but got no jail time. Um, this is, of course, the guy who manipulated the uh, the application for the FISA warrant on Carter Page that kicked off the whole thing. Remember Carter Page, who was supposed to be a Russia spy as well. Um, and they got three FISA warrants on him. He was never charged with anything because it was all bullshit. And in fact, the CIA had told the FBI that we know Carter Page is not a Russian uh, spy because he's working with us. So it was a whole a whole crazy uh, uh, thing there. Um, by the way, a couple other little details in the report that were kind of interesting. They, they did uh, uh, ask Hillary Clinton herself uh, about this. And this is it, what a great... Uh, Clint, uh, Hillary Clinton response to this. I just, this jumped out at me as so funny. She, uh, she said it was really sad. I get it. You have to go down every rabbit hole. <laughs> it's just so funny that that's just Hillary Clinton. She goes, it's just a sad, it's a sad day for our country when you figure out that it was all me lying hmm. to everybody. But I understand you got to go down every rabbit hole. I get it. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Fast Growing Trees. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrubs, and tree varieties for your unique climate, Mayer lemons to evergreens, and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home. 
but sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. No problem, because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. No more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around. With fastgrowingtrees.com, your order is online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. I love fast growing trees. I'll tell you, as somebody who's from New York City and always lived in apartments and now has a big property with a huge lawn, you realize how cool it is to pick out your bushes, to pick out your trees, to pick out your plants. This is a great way to do it for people like me who are going to go to a nursery and not know what I'm looking at and then have to lug everything back. Fast growing trees makes it easy. And with fast growing trees, 30 days alive and thrive guarantee, you know everything will look great fresh out of the box. Join over 1.5 million happy fast growing trees customers go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash p-o-t-p now to get 15% off your entire order 15% off your entire order at fastgrowingtrees.com slash p-o-t-p all right let's get back into the show i don't know any anything else rob you think that i uh that i missed that we should be talking about here with this what that are uh key takeaways in the actual report yeah, any key, any other key takeaways? Well, the big one was definitely that uh, it all seems to be Clinton established. Then they broke all the protocols. Not only did they break the protocols, but yeah. they ignored alternative evidence of the fact. Like, there was evidence that it, uh, seemingly had been presented to the FBI that this was Clinton information. Yeah. And that there were other things that were worth investigating from the Clintons that were just overlooked. <sighs> yeah. So they certainly broke protocols. Um, if there's one clean takeaway, it's that the uh, intelligence community is clearly operating for essentially the deep state, that your connected actors such as the Clinton could say, hey, here's what I'm looking for, and they'll go and do it, which we also saw quite clearly with the uh, CIA with the, with the Biden laptop. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. You, if, if this isn't just clear as day to people that the FBI and other these the intelligence is not 40 intelligence people have said and this like all that that we've heard now for eight years as being the basis for why every decision is made by government officials. Well, this is the information I got from the intelligence community. I mean, everyone should just hear that now and laugh and realize, OK, that means nothing. You might yeah. as well hear you might as well tell me you walked in the park and you, there was a talking frog that gave you this information. Yeah. So that was uh, right. That was uh, one of Durham's uh, major conclusions was that basically they were completely unfair in the way they treated the Clinton campaign versus the Trump campaign, that there were several things they could have started investigations about on the Hillary Clinton campaign that they didn't and that they really never should have started this investigation. He does come out and say that, that there was no justification to start this investigation against Donald Trump at all. It should have been obvious from all the information they had that there was really nothing to go on here. And so, of course, this whole thing was, you know, uh, kind of nonsense but of course as uh as the the conclusion uh of durham's uh, uh report here is and i'll quote from him here not every injustice or transgression amounts to a criminal offense and he said the law does not always make a person's bad judgment even horribly bad judgment standing alone a crime he also made a statement somewhere in it that uh, it's not so much that the FBI's protocols need to be changed. It's more it's like kind of what you said about laws or spells. It's like you can have all perfect protocols. If people are ignoring the protocols, it doesn't matter. Like if you got a guy who's lying on the FISA war and it doesn't matter what the procedure is in the fire in the 
It doesn't matter. The guy's lying on the thing. It's only yes. as good as the people right. who are well, sitting the point there. Is- the, the point is that laws aren't spells, but people right. treat them like they are. As you know, as I remember joking around with Michael Malice about this. Um, we were talking about like the idea of like, you know, when like someone's pulled over by a cop and, and they're like screaming at the cop, I know my rights. You know, and like you've seen a million videos like this where someone's like yelling at the cop. You, they, yeah, I know my rights. And then I just watch them get dragged out of their car by the cop. And it really is when you think about it, it's like the psychosis involved in this is like, you have like a piece of paper then outside your car is a man with a gun and you're like i know what's written down on this paper and it's like there's like it's like imaginary world and real life real life is dude with a taser who's pointing a taser at you about to tase you and then you almost have like like you have the a copy of the bill of rights and it's almost like you're sitting there going like hocus pocus like you know you're not allowed to tase me and then he's like okay and just lights you up like it's it's it doesn't matter necessarily what the rules are in a sense uh um durham's right about that he's kind of like well we already have rules about this we just need to follow the rules um anyway this is uh look it's just it's just one more piece uh of evidence there's a lot of them at this point uh, there are too many to go through in one show, but it's one more piece, um, in this puzzle, which just kind of, it makes it pretty clear what happened here. I, I really do think for anybody who's being honest and paying attention, it's just, it's, it's way beyond the point that you could deny it, that it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Donald Trump was fucking set up for this. And people get so goddamn bizarre uh, when particularly with Donald Trump, it brings out an unbelievable amount of um, just ridiculous tribalism and kind of this uh, deranged religiosity about where you feel. You know, I, I I've been getting this for years now, but you know, you'll you'll uh, I'll I'll say things like you know I'll be like okay Donald Trump was clearly framed for treason by his own deep state and people will be like oh so Dave loves Donald Trump oh really well don't you know he did this thing wrong and this thing wrong and you're like well yes okay <laughs> that can be true and it can also be true that he was framed by his own deep state for treason that's they don't contradict each other this is just what happened that's that. You know, the other thing that uh, is one of my uh, kind of major takeaways of all of this is like, given everything that we know now, it, it really is interesting that, look, the, the, there's two, basically two people who are being framed here and, um, or two entities, whatever, uh, a person and a country. But you, we focus a lot on how Donald Trump was framed. And that is fair because, you know, as Americans, it's it's a it's a crazy thing. No matter how much we all know this uh, this system is corrupt, it's such a crazy thing for the sitting president to be framed by his own deep state that is supposed to work for him. That's like it's it's uh, shocking to, to anyone, to any normie. That would be crazy shocking. Um, and even to people who are kind of like hip to some of this stuff, it's still like, wow, they really went for it. They really did it. But Donald Trump is not the only, you know, person being framed here. And the other person is Vladimir Putin. 
And, and to me, that's kind of another angle of this that I think people don't appreciate enough is that it's not just if you say like, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin overthrew our elections to install Donald Trump, that's not just framing Donald Trump for being, uh, you know, a Russian asset or whatever. You're also framing Vladimir Putin for being in this conspiracy with Donald Trump that he was not involved in. And now that we're in this situation where we are fighting a proxy war on Russia's borders, it's just interesting to think about how this all plays in to to each other. You know, there's if you go back to um, the uh, that 2008 memo that uh, the current. CIA director Bill Burns wrote to Condoleezza Rice. Of course, at the time, Bill Burns was the ambassador to Russia and Condoleezza Rice was the secretary of state. And the the memo is entitled Nyet means Nyet. And uh, um, we only have this because Julian Assange uh, leaked it. This was a private cable. This was not for the public. This was this is what the ambassador was telling the secretary of state to keep her apprised on the situation, not thinking about public relations or what we're what the propaganda angle is here that we're trying to tell the people just what they were saying behind closed doors or so they thought. And he talks about um, the whole memo is about Ukrainian entry into NATO and how much this is going to be a problem for Russia. And there's a passage in there where he says, uh, basically, like all the experts here are saying, that it, because of the deep divides in Ukraine, if we push for Ukraine to join NATO, it's going to lead to instability. It could even lead to a civil war there, like the civil war they had from 2014 through 2022. Um, he goes, it could even lead to a civil war there. So he's predicting something that comes true later. And he goes, in that eventuality, Russia will have to decide if they want to intervene, a decision Russia does not want to have to make. That's what Bur that's what our CIA director, then ambassador to Russia, is telling our secretary of state. He's saying Russia doesn't want to do this. OK, they don't want to have to be faced with this choice. But that did happen. There was a civil war there. Ultimately, obviously, they did decide to intervene by invading the country. But this is something interesting to keep in mind, even according to Burns from years before the invasion. He was saying Russia does not want to be in a position where they have where they have to make this decision. And and what what I would submit is that it seems to me like this was this was a move of desperation from Vladimir Putin. Like he knew how how dangerous this would be and how, you know, how many problems this could cause for him. Um, and so when you think about this, and of course, if anyone says the Russians were provoked in any way, you know, you get denounced as like a whatever you're spreading Putin propaganda or some ridiculous shit like that. But just look, just think about this because that's the other big like elephant in the room here is that it's not just that they framed Donald Trump, it's that they framed Vladimir Putin too. And think about what that might like. What would your mentality be like from the uh, from Vladimir Putin's point of view? You know, just strategically think about that. Doesn't mean you have to agree with him, but like, let's think about it from that point of view. When you have the the most war hungry country in the world, the United States of America's federal government, and you have the CIA director, you know, the CIA, our war making machine, when you have them, uh all publicly claiming 
that you have overthrown our democracy. You know, like really laying down a justification for war. Like telling telling the world. It's not just that idiots like Brian Stelter were saying it. It's that idiots like John Brennan were saying it. You've got high, the highest level of the American intelligence apparatus claiming every single day that you have overthrown the democracy of the United States of America. You did something that the, you know, that the British empire couldn't do that. The Nazis couldn't do that. The commies couldn't do you. You did it. Something Osama bin Laden couldn't do all the enemies we've had. The first one to ever overthrow our democracy is Vladimir Putin. You know, if you are, if you, anyone heard that they would have to start preparing themselves for war right i mean like you'd be like oh okay you know what these you you know what these americans do when they start saying that you when they start laying the groundwork and they're they're not just saying he's got weapons of mass destruction or something like that you know they're not just saying like oh he's about to go genocidal they're saying he started a war with us that certainly, if true, would have been an act of war, a more severe act of war than anything you could imagine. He stole the election from Hillary Clinton and, and installed his puppet. In hindsight, it might have been a little reckless to be talking that way about Russia. Maybe that wasn't smart policy. There's maybe some unintended consequences associated with it. Anyway... You know, people can, uh, the, the people in the corporate press can try to pretend all they want to, like, oh, this is a nothing burger because his conclusion was I'm not going to charge anyone. But it is not. This is one of the biggest stories in the history of the country. It's goddamn insane and really interesting and really revealing about how this system actually works. So anybody who's telling you, oh, this is, I don't know, it's a nothing burger. There, there is like, there's no mind there to be able to look at this and not be like, no, this is an incredible story incredible one of the biggest in american history so i'm guessing we'll get a congressional hearing that will uh try and pull in some of these characters although brennan on the cia uh on the letter thing that just happened behind closed doors so you know they might they might manage to avoid the cameras on this all right guys let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show which is crowd health Crowd Health puts your health care back in your hands, cuts out the middleman, it saves you money, and you fund your own health care costs without relying on big government or big health insurance companies. With Crowd Health, you put aside money for health expenses in your own account. You can even hold part of it in Bitcoin, so if Bitcoin goes up, you get the upside. We all know the insurance model is broken, and Crowd Health has a better way to fund your health care. See any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or copays. You only pay the first $500 of any health care event. The Crowd Health community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, no surprises. Pay one low monthly total to fund your account. You can hold up to 75% of that in Bitcoin if you want. Your monthly subscription helps fund healthcare costs for the entire crowd health community. And unlike insurance, there are no doctor's networks. So as I mentioned, you can see any doctor you want to. By totally reversing the vicious incentives that got us into this mess in the first place, crowd health provides true peace of mind, something insurance companies don't seem to care about. And unlike insurance companies, crowd health helps you find great care at a fair price 
always pays doctors as quickly as possible and actively negotiates to keep costs down for everyone. It's time you opt out of the restrictive health insurance plans and let CrowdHealth help fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 per month. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash POTP to get the healthcare you deserve. CrowdHealth is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash POTP. All right, let's get back into the show. There were a couple things too in the report where they said, they, like people were saying, like, don't write things down anymore. They were being like, don't send emails anymore. Don't write things down. This should all be done in conversation. And then it kind of cuts off there. It's like they started to realize we can't have a paper trail of this shit. Right. Um, it, do you think anything comes of this? Because this is pretty, you think even the American public would be upset or at least half the country that voted for Donald Trump going, oh, wow, the deep state really did like have a coup against him. Yeah. I, 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 when you say, does anything come of this? The, the government, and this is something you point out often, um, the government does not have a self-accountability capability. Right. Like, there's nothing in the government that ever keeps the government in check. And, of course, there's incentives that kind of guide that process along. You're not very incentivized to limit your own, you know, power. Um, so no, I don't think, I, I think that there might be some show hearings in Congress. I wouldn't be surprised about that. Um, in fact, I think there probably will be. So I don't think anything will happen in the sense of someone's going to get arrested or go to jail or something's going to be overhauled. I do think that this is just another step but, in the, the institutions being completely discredited. But like, that's what we'll have to like take Brennan, as a victory. Is he now just officially discredited in front of a normie? Like if he's on, you know, CNN and he's giving his analysis to people just go, yeah, but you lied to me twice now about intelligence or does I think a lot more. I think a lot more do. I think a lot more do right. for sure. Look, I think at this point saying, um, look, it's, it's hard to uh, imagine or it's hard. It's hard to really kind of grasp, because if you if you look at this thing like day by day or even week by week right. or month by month. It, it, it's hard to measure. But if you look at it, say, decade by decade, you know, there's it's like when I was bringing up the example of uh, the, the wrestling angle where Sergeant Slaughter betrayed America and everyone's right. like, oh, you Iraqi, USA, USA. You know, if in, say, 1985, which, you know, seems like forever ago, but it's it's four decades, you know. Um, but if you look at, say, in 1985 and someone went, the CIA, you know, some newspaper goes, the CIA came out and said, we have intelligence that so-and-so has happened. I think that was enough to get almost every normie American to go, hmm, all right, well, that's pretty serious. I mean, the CIA says we have intelligence. And now, today, I think a huge percentage of the population is absolutely just rolling their eyes at that. Well, I want to know if a trans person worked on it, because if not, you guys aren't being inclusive. And then what is this? It's not intelligence. It's something guess, else. It's not intelligence. That's just white privilege right there. Is all that is, you know. Yeah, yeah, but so that's that's what I think is really the biggest um, uh, outcome of all of this. Is another thing that is really just eroding whatever trust and faith in institutions is left. And I think that's the best thing to come out of all of this. Um, all right. In the in the little bit of time we have left, let's uh, let's transition to one other topic that I did. Let's tr let's transition ourselves, Rob into a couple of beautiful ladies who kick ass at swimming. Can I wear a wig? <laughs> let's, just, let's transition into a couple of beautiful ladies who happen to be Olympic gold medalists. 
Can it be a different um, sport? Because I don't think my wig would work in the pool. If I'm going to be a lady, I want beautiful hair again. Okay. All right, fine. You get hair, and you can pick whatever other sport you want to. Thank That's, you. I, right. I like this plan now. All right, fine. Um, uh, this is reminding me of your bit about this, which is great, by the way. I won't tell you now, but come see us. Uh, come see Rob do some stand-up. Um, okay, so... Uh, there's this latest thing, which I, I, I just felt like I had to talk about this story. I tweeted earlier. Um, I said, reality uh, keeps stealing my hypotheticals. Um, so we just did this episode recently where I talked all about immigration and I was using the hypothetical example of like people entering public schools. All right. So New York City said, Dave, hold my beer. And they uh, are now there. There is a this is really happening. There is a plan. Um, going into effect immediately to house immigrants in public schools. Um, here, Brian, you, I think you have a little video of this. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you play from that? schools will be used to house incoming asylum seekers. All right, as you can imagine, many parents aren't happy with the plan, claiming they were never told. Ashley Rodriguez live outside one of those schools in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, tonight with reaction to the latest plan. Ashley. Yeah, that's exactly what parents are saying. I mean, really, the city surprised everyone in this area that they were bringing migrants to be housed at this school. They told them yesterday afternoon. And not only that, the migrants will be taking over the newly renovated gym that services both PS17 and MS577. Give it to your parents. Tell the show Parents of PS17 and MS577 in Williamsburg stand outside during dismissal Monday afternoon, passing out flyers that say in big, bold letters, keep our kids safe. I don't mind giving a helping hand, but when it interferes with the education of our students, yes, I do care. Parents say they were given no notice about how many migrants are coming and who they are. Not only that, but the school's recently renovated gym is now off limits. They waited like two years for the gym to get built and to come outside or went to locked up in school. The kids will effectively be under a lockdown during recess, and they blame Mayor Eric Adams. They intend to tell him what's on their mind through a rally Tuesday at 8 a.m. The mayor really got to look into the law, into what's permissible. The location of PS17 and MS577 is now one of 150 temporary shelters in the city, not counting the six locations recently designated. The news coming down as 4,200 migrants arrived in the city last week. It doesn't have to be in the public schools. They can put them somewhere else. PS17 does have a standalone gym. You can see it right there. The only issue, according to parents, is that they have to leave open the gate so that migrants can come and go freely. And as you can see, the school is just feet away. There's no safety. They're giving us one um, safety officer, just one additional one. We only have two for a school of 700 kids. The mayor's office responded, saying we are out of space. As the mayor has said, nothing is off the table as we work to fill our moral mandate. But we should all expect this crisis to affect every city service. All That's right. not fair. Yeah. Hey, you got to yeah. you go first. Well, it's just it, it's a very interesting um, it's interesting on a lot of different levels. Of course, it is. It's in Williamsburg. Right. So it kind of reminds you of like the Martha's Vineyard thing. 
where it's in this incredibly liberal area. They have been demagoguing this issue for years about how you don't have a heart unless you want to open up, you know, and let all of these immigrants in. But then, of course, they're furious about it when it touches them. You know, like it's fine as long as it's somebody else's problem. And this to me has been the essence of the of the point I've been making when talking to other goofy libertarians and trying to smack some common sense into them. You know, like I, I remember I, I debated this with a couple of uh, the Mises Caucus guys who, by the way, I'm not I'm not even trying to insult them. These are like my people. I love these guys to death. Um, but I was talking to one of them and I was like, well, look, you know, I, I was floating out the idea of a sponsorship program where I was like, well, look, if within the context of a government, you want to simulate libertarian immigration as much as possible, then have it be like, hey, if you're invited and sponsored by a citizen, meaning if someone invites you, but then they have to like they have to take liability for you. So if you're my cousin in Italy, Rob, and I say I want Rob to come move in with me, then I have to sign that whatever habit, whatever health issues, whatever anything, you know, like that Rob needs, I'm on the hook financially for if he can't pay for it. So it doesn't get passed onto uh, onto the, the taxpayer, then OK. Maybe that's the best situation. That way you have genuinely invited guests have a right to come and not invited guests don't have a right to come. That's a pretty good simulation of how a free private property society would work, that property owners can decide, right? And one of them said to me, he was like, well, look, I, I forget his family had a farm or something like that. And they used to have like, uh, um, like day laborers come and work. And he goes, yeah, but in that system, like um, there's no way we could have afforded to have these guys come and work. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. You can't afford to pay for their health, their healthcare and their school and their, all this shit. And so now the taxpayer is subsidizing that. That's the part that libertarians are against. And so you just, you see in this example here where it's like, yeah, it's easy to say libertarians, the open borders types will often use these arguments where they'll go, um, well, you know, they'll be like, what, you, you're for immigration restriction? Well, if I want to have an immigrant on my property, that I have every right to do that. And I'll always be like, okay, sure. How many you got? How many are on your property right now? Oh, none. So you're not actually standing up for the right of you to have an immigrant on your property. It's just like these liberals. It's like, though, for someone else to do it. You know, like, you're not really advocating that you have to sacrifice something. You're advocating other people get forced to do it. And that's so that's one point. And then the other thing is like when you look at this, like it, it's like, look, in the real world here, this isn't some type of market phenomenon. This is the government coming in and saying, we're going to use this area that we we taxed you for. We forced you to pay for for the purpose of educating your kids. And we're deciding that's going to be used now to house migrants. And like who? Like, I mean, just look at this. No, nothing's perfect when the government is involved from a, liberta a libertarian point of view. But like, who has more of a claim on what should be going on in this public school? These parents who have been forced to fund the thing or or a group of people who just showed up here? They seem to almost all be men, by the way. And like, you know, as a parent, you're like, Look, it's not a matter, as, as so many progressives often frame the issue, it's not a matter of, like, whether you have any sympathy for these people or you don't. Like, I have, I have sympathy for people who are coming from, uh, you know, 
from from Latin America up here. Yeah, they've had a much harder life than I have, and it's horrible, and it's a goddamn disaster down there, and I understand why they want to come. I'd want to come if I were them too. But you also go like, look, man, you got, you have a group of men from coming from third world countries in a very different culture than ours. You don't know what they are, who they are, what their background is, what they're capable of. And now they're just like, oh, they're going to be staying at your kid's school. I mean, like, I can't imagine how I would feel if I was in a situation where those were my kids in the school. I'd be goddamn outraged over it. I'm very fortunate that I'm in a situation where I can, you know, uh, I have more options than that. But it's, I just don't know how anyone could look at this and not just be like, this is insane. It's goddamn insane. Well, I know that this isn't going to solve the problem to uh, socialism and that this is also uh, somewhat the argument that people were making uh, as why they might appreciate a homeless or a drug addict in the uh, in a public school. But doesn't this seriously showcase the stupidity of socialism? Because as far as I'm concerned, what you so you guys think that you deserve my money for your kids to play in a gym, but not to house these people who are from a third world country? Who needs the, who needs this area more right now? If we're talking about redistributing wealth towards people that need it, do your kids need to play basketball in the afternoon more than these people need to not be homeless? So do you what what, what you don't care about fairness or equity in any well, capacity? That is, that is what's interesting about it happening in Williamsburg is that it does just kind of hang these guys saying, by their if, own if, logic. If, if the government's forced, I don't have kids. I don't care about your kids' education. <laughs> I'd rather keep that money go spend on sandwiches. You're going to force me to give it up. I'd rather it house uh, this dirty person who just came over the border and might rob and murder your kid in a schoolyard. I'd prefer that. I'm just saying I feel more bad for that guy than your kid needing to play basketball in the afternoon. And here's the biggest irony. You know how we keep him away from your kids on the playground? A wall there. (laughs) You just put up a nice wall between the gym and your kids. And then you don't have to worry about them coming in while you're trying to while you're trying to be in school. <laughs> oh man, it is it is unbelievable how quickly you could turn a progressive into a fucking make America great again Trump star. Like you of, show up and you go a couple of dirty migrants on their fucking playground or this shit gets real. Well, it is. I I will say that. Um, I, I find this so there was a I, I, I responded on Twitter to one of the there was some like a r- progressive woman on some podcast or something like that. And she was talking about that uh, that story just recently where the guy uh, got choked to death um, on the subway. And she was telling a story about like a crazy uh, some crazy homeless drug addict guy on a, like a bus or a train or something like that who uh, elbowed her in the face and the stomach. Um, and this, and she was so goofy, such a goofy progressive about it. And she was going like, and you know, it hurt and I was scared, but I also realized that this moment wasn't about my fear. It was about this man who was suffering and how this was a mental health crisis and the system had failed him and blah, blah, blah. And all this. And, you know, I, I'm not against having sympathy for schizophrenic drug addicts. Like I, I get that. that. That's horrible. And um, I guarantee a lot of people failed that person for them to be in the situation they're in now and also just got a raw deal from biology. There's there's a lot going on there that sucks. I just find this thing very bizarre where sympathy for, say, like a schizophrenic drug addict is supposed to take precedence over 
women and children being physically safe. That's just what's strange to me. It's like the idea that like, and I think part of this is having kids. I don't know. I, I think I would have felt this way even before I had kids, but I guess I can't say for sure. But like, it's just very clear that like, like I, I got a, a big house with a lot of extra rooms. Like I could house a lot of people here if I needed to. And there's homeless people out there who need a home. And I'm not like not sympathetic to them. Like, I think that's terrible. Um, but the reason why I'm not offering them all of the empty rooms in my house is because protecting my kids is like magnitudes of order more important to me than giving them a home. That's just very clear in the hierarchy of priorities to me is my wife and kids being safe. And so like that doesn't mean you don't have any sympathy for those people but there is something to me about like, I don't like when I see, um, you know, which I've seen plenty of videos of, but where there's like those tent cities in like San Francisco or in Los Angeles or something like that. And there's like some like 12 year old girl who's got to walk by like drug addicts pissing on the street. When I look at that, my first thought isn't like, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for the people who have to live like that. My first thought is, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for the little girl who has to walk by that. And, and I understand where you could argue that like, well, these homeless people have a much worse life than this little girl does. I mean, that is true. It's just to me, that's not like where my priority it, like my priority is like protecting women and children. And then after that, it's like, OK, I feel bad for these people. There, I understand that someone could argue that, well, they have a worse circumstance, but that to me isn't the way I view like what should be prioritized. Who has a worse circumstance? What, I, I view it more through like as a functioning society. Wh what do we put? You know what I mean? Like, how do we, who do we value protecting? Um, so anyway, um, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap there. We're over time. All right, guys, uh, we will see you uh, in just a couple days, Tampa, side splitters, and me and Rob will be all over the country. Bunch more gigs coming up, comicdavesmith.com for all the dates and ticket links, robbythefire.com for all his stuff. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Peace.